Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, grab them, turn to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 17 through chapter 20. And uh, that's where we're going to be for the most part this morning. I'm going to reference a few other things. But this morning, I, here's what I simply want to talk about. Is I want to re- talk about um, the storms that come that are associated with revival. Um, if we're talking about, if we're dedicating this summer as a summer tent revival, I hope that you know that you know that you know that it's not going to come easy. Uh, there's a price to be paid for revival. And revival comes accompanied by storms. I hope that you know that. I think many times we think about revival and, and we, we think about, uh, that, you know, that there's no price to be paid. It's just simple. And if it's simple, it's from the devil. But I would actually say if it's simple, it's probably not from heaven. God wants you to dig in. That's what, that's what the church is called to do. And so this morning I want to talk about storms. I, I actually believe that storms make us stronger um, and, that, uh, and that we can grow through them. I learned that as a 16-year-old. I, I, I felt like a man for the first time at 16 when I was at the Outer Banks in a pop-up trailer that my dad had pulled uh, to the Outer Banks, and that's how we were vacationing that year. We'd never stayed in a pop-up trailer before. Lots of tents never pop-up trailers. I'm almost positive we popped up the tent wrong. My dad was saying dad things like strap it down, that'll never go anywhere, you know, things like that. Uh, and so we were tying things. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just cranking on things, and we put it together. But a storm hit the Outer Banks um, that evening, and I woke up to my dad screaming like a small child from outside, and he was screaming, Nathan, come help me. There's a storm. There's a storm. <laughs> I went outside, and what happened is, you know those flaps that you kind of, you eat, you know, lunch and stuff under out of a pop-up tent? Can you picture this? It's attached to the, 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 the pop-up camper, and then it goes, and it's, it's held by two posts on the end. Well, the storm caught um, that with its wind, and now these, this flap was acting like a sail, and our pop-up was, was going places that it wasn't designed to go, and my dad was screaming, uh, Nathan, help me. Um, so I came outside. What happened was, I think, I'm not, a, I'm not a weatherman, but I think the barometric pressure dropped to a place that robbed the atmosphere of oxygen, <laughs> and so uh, we were getting dizzy outside because there was no oxygen to take into our bodies, and so my dad said something like, I'm going in, and uh, he left me outside in the Outer bank storm as a 16-year-old, soaked with water, uh, rain, uh, to fend for myself. Somehow, I was able to tie a rope. I don't know where the rope came from, but I tied a rope around the poles that were operating like nunchucks in the Outer Banks wind, and I tied a rope around those, and then I was able to make my way to the door. They opened the door. I pulled the rope in, and we held on for dear life in there. And I remember standing over my dad, not saying a word, just knowing I was more of a man than he was. And I remember looking at everybody saying, everybody okay? We good? Go back to bed. This six-year-old. And I remember that. I remember this was one of those things. And of course, I'm joking about my dad. My dad then spanked me royally and said, uh, no, he didn't. Uh, but I, I'm not saying I was better than my dad. What I am saying that is in the face of the storm, 
uh, I didn't run, and it was actually a moment of massive victory in my life. And I remember that as a, as a moment in a six-year-old life. And I'm telling you this morning, guys, that storms are going to be coming in our life as we're pursuing revival. There are storms that are going to come. And so I just want to tell, I just want to name those storms from the outset that these are revival storms, okay? These are revival storms. These are storms that I'm purposing and posturing in my heart that as storms come, I am going to decide that even if the enemy sends them, they're going to produce a heart in me that is going to triumph and stand the test. And I'm going to see God's, God's heartbeat break out on the environment that I live in. If there's not enough oxygen, who cares? I've got Jesus, and Jesus without oxygen is better than oxygen without Jesus, all right? So I, I want to call these, if I'm uh, naming the, the message this morning, and I am, I'm calling this revival storms. There are always challenges associated with revival. There is always a cost. You, if you look at the history of revival, there's always weird fanatics that are so obsessed with Jesus that they hit their knees for a decade in prayer and, and fasting and don't give up and don't get off their knees and don't stop crying out for revival until it comes. There's always a loss associated with revival because in revival, you are forced to lose yourself. In revival, you are forced to lose control. In revival, you have to lose what you thought for what you're actually wired for in revival. And if you have reserved your heart for God alone and saying, God, I want my heart to be nothing less than a torch on fire by your spirit. God, I want my heart to be a place where Jesus is treasured as supreme above all others. God, I want my heart to be a place where I actually know that I know that I know that you're a God who is in love with me and wants me. God, I want my heart to be reserved for you alone. And I wanna be a pioneer of revival and I want you to start with me. If that is the place that you are at this morning, I promise you guys, here is the biblical reality that you have to brace for impact. There's going to be storms. The oxygen is going to leave your environment and you're going to have to see if you are willing to stand. So 2 Chronicles chapter 17, where I told you to turn, this is the story of a revivalist. Can you all hear me? Okay. I, the, the roar of the fans is wonderful. Just let it revi uh, remind you of revival wind, all right? Just let it do that. Uh, this is a story of a revivalist named Jehoshaphat. He was a king of, of Judah. This man is a revivalist. Is he perfect? Not in any capacity or stretch of the imagination. Does he have a heart after God? Like massively, what is God looking for? Perfection? No. Jesus is our righteousness. What is he looking for? Hearts. And this man, my friends, had the heart of a revivalist. Here's what his heart looked like, and here's what came out of his life. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 17, starting with verse uh, 3, it says that Jehoshaphat had a heart like David. David was a man that was willing to worship God in his undies in front of everybody. He was just so lovesick, he just did not care. And on a day that's this hot, I can see why David did that. All right, but this was a man that said, that said, man, I, God, I want to set my life on course to worshiping you. This is a man that did not seek the Baals. The, if you read the Old Testament, Kings, Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, you'll see that 
um, that Israel and Judah were obsessed with idol worship, and these Baals specifically were demonic idols that were constantly chosen over the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were chosen over, and sometimes God was so dishonored and defamed in their presence that they would say, hey, we're going to keep worshiping you, God, and we're also going to worship the Baals. And so God is constantly bringing Israel and Judah to a place saying, which one do you want? Jehoshaphat says, I'm telling you who I want right now. I want you. And he is destroying Baal worship. He's destroying the high places. And he's destroying Asherah poles, which are also de demonic posts that, are, that people would bow to made of wood and would worship. And Jehoshaphat says, not on my reign, we're, we're going to be seekers of the one true God. And he destroys the place of idol worship. He destroys the ashram. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 17, here's what that Jehoshaphat is also doing, is he's sending priests to all of the cities that he governs. And he's sending them with the book of the law to teach them. So not only is he destroying idol worship, but he's also discipling his people. And saying, this is what the Bible says. This is what you need to do. So the, the book of the law had been lost uh, a while back physically. Nobody even knew there was such a book or they had only heard stories. But in Jehoshaphat's day, it had been lost practically. They had it, but they didn't read it. They didn't really know it. And, Jeho and Jehoshaphat says, I want to teach the people what the word of God says. And so under Jehoshaphat's reign, he's bringing order. He's bringing peace for the first time in a long time. He's bringing prosperity. He's bringing strength, and he's also defeating armies that would stand in opposition to the people of Judah. But here is the thing as we, that we're going to discover here in Jehoshaphat's life, is that Jehoshaphat is used to fighting his own battles and winning. All right? So here Jehoshaphat is, and he's got a great, a great track record of success. But he is used to, as much as he loves God, he is used to fighting his own battles and used to winning his own battles. And what revival required in this king's life is a problem and a storm, so to speak, that the, the, uh, the oxygen level in Jehoshaphat's world would get so dangerously low that he would be faced with a situation so impossible that he needed someone or something so much bigger than what he had. I'm calling this a revival. He needed a revival storm is what he needed. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting with verse 1, here's what the revival storm looks like. Here's what it looks like, guys. You ready for this? Okay. Okay. Here's what it says. After this, the after this meaning, once Jehoshaphat was bringing revival to his country. After this, you would think that peace and prosperity, not the case. After this, a revival storm comes. The Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, far beyond the sea, and behold, they're in uh, has a Zan Tamar that is in Gedi. And then look at just the first part of verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So now let me tell you what's happening here. A storm is coming. Oxygen is being robbed from Jehoshaphat in such a way that Jehoshaphat knows that he is in fact in over his head. 
Have you guys ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Has it ever been so hot that you don't know if there's tears sliding down your face or just sweat? Have you ever been like, you've been, you have, I have no clue what is going on in my life. In fact, if I don't have help from someone who is stronger than I am, I'm really, I'm being honest here. This is not going to make it. That is called a revival That is called a revival storm. And for someone that's used to being strong, fighting their own battles, when they face a revival storm, it has a massive impact in that person. Jehoshaphat is used to defending his country, reforming his kingdom, breaking false idols, teaching people scriptures, pioneering revival. But after the king's revival storm, Jehoshaphat takes a posture that shows what his heart is actually like. Starting with verse 3a, Jehoshaphat uh, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And so this morning I'm suggesting that if you want to be a revivalist, if your deep desire is that God would light you up like a a Holy Spirit torch and your, your heart would burn, that if you want Jesus to be the supreme unrivaled treasure in your life, if you only want to be motivated by the love of the Father, if that's it, I only want to be motivated by the love of the Father. I only want to identify my only identity, son of God, daughter of the king. That real revival gets to all of your places, is what I'm saying. That real revival gets to every place that doesn't line up with that. It gets to all of them and it exposes them. It gets to all your places in this place of fear. Jehoshaphat's very afraid. But sometimes we get to places of pride. Sometimes it'll get to places of self. Sometimes it will get to places that just make no sense. Sometimes you'll see that I've been operating in a kingdom that is actually not of me. I've been trying to lead God's people my way, but here God says, hey, hey, this storm is to get you back in tune with my heart. And I think that one of the gifts of revival is storms that actually demand a miracle. I think one of the gifts of of revival in your life, when you're saying, hey, God, light me up as a revivalist in my day, what God is going to do is he's going to give you storms that are way bigger than any of the answers that you have, where where you're forced to see that if God is not a supernatural, miracle working, signs and wonders God that has the power and the heart to show up in my life, this, this is, this is over. One of the gifts of revival is that God puts us in situations and he says, I am the God of miracles and you can trust me. There are absolutely no other options but me. Hang on for the ride. There's not going to be much oxygen, but here we go, baby. I love when God calls me baby because I am one, right? To him, God is, have you ever encountered the heart of the Father and then suddenly you just be like, Abba. Hold me. I, you're big and I'm small. And that is where we need to be. You want to be a revivalist, you need to get less like a studied whatever. And put your degrees to the side and get much, 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 much more like a child that loves to be held by a strong papa. That's the heart of a revivalist. And so here, Second Chronicles 21a says, after this, and King Jehoshaphat must have been thinking, I thought that after leading this nation to follow you, I thought that, 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 that after 
wiping out all of the idolatry and operating in righteousness as a kingdom. I thought that after these things, something good would happen, not the single greatest trial in the history of my life. I, that's what I thought. But Joe, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, I'm forgetting it already. I'm so in it right now that, yes, that Jehoshaphat, once he goes here, God leads him to a deeper place, and he responds like a revivalist in his day, and I'm taking notes to uh, Jehoshaphat. Can I just call him King Jay or something, you know? Can I, I, I'm responding to the king's, I, I'm watching the king's response, and so here is how the king responds to his storm. Number one, he stands on God's promises. Write that down or something, or just commit that to memory. Here's the first thing that the king does, is he decides, I am not going to do anything but stand, and what I am deciding to stand on is not my own armies, because they're not big enough. I'm not standing on my own strategies, because my mind's not wise enough. I'm standing just alone on this, on this very one thing that God gave me a promise and I'm here I'm making my stand on the promise of God so you see this in in 2nd Chronicles chapter 20 verse 9 where the king says if disaster comes upon us we will stand before this house that is the temple and before you for your name is in this house in other words we are your covenant people we are the, your representatives on earth, and, and if we go down, your name is tied to us. Your name, God, is tied to us. Your name is in this house, and he's referring to a promise a few chapters prior in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where the promise of God is this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. When you face pestilence, run to me, stand on my promises. When you face trials and storms of all kind, if my people who are called by my name, my representatives on earth, my covenant people, stand on that promise, and here the king is standing on the promises by, listen, by praying the promises. Have you ever prayed a promise? I have. I prayed so many promises, so many things that God spoke into me and, and the secret place, so many things in the scriptures where I've, I've gone and said, hey, God, I've seen you come through for other people, and they've stood on your promises, and here I am in my day, in my hour, in my storms, and here I am standing on your promises. I'm praying the promises into my own soul, and I trust you, and I trust you, and I trust you. So, guys, I think there's some of us here that you, you, need, you need to uh, trade the, the promises you made to yourself that aren't as big as your storm, and you need to trade them for the promises God made to you, and humble yourself and stand on his promises. And here's another thing, and this is, this is a cousin to standing on the promises of God, but revivalists not only stand on promises, they all rely on strength, not their own. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, that Jehoshaphat says this, we are powerless against this great horde. The great horde is the storm. The great horde is, is, the, uh, is, is the, the storm that's robbing all the oxygen from, from Judah. And so the king is saying we're powerless. And it's not that the king doesn't know what to do strategically. Do you hear this? The, the king would strategically would know what to do. The problem is that he doesn't have strength to do what needs to be done, though he would have a strategy to do so. Do you hear this? 
Our, our, our strength doesn't come from our strategy if we don't have the power to operate in the strategy, if we don't have the forces behind it. And God's storms love to show us, here's who's in charge. Here's who's still on the throne. And it's not your strategies, it's me. It's, that, it's not that you don't know what to do, it's that you have zero ability to do what needs to be done in your own strength. Don't you know that the promises of God are some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit in the church. It's supposed to get strength from God, not from ourselves. One of them is Christianity, the other one is idolatry. You see? You see that? So here's our best efforts. Some storms say this. Our best efforts are futile to fight the storm this great horde that is coming against us, the great horde is the storm that is stronger than I am. And so what the call of God is to rely on my strength. Here's another thing, though, humble yourself. Second Chronicles 20, 12 says, we don't know what to do. This, we don't know what to do is, is one of the most beautiful things that a leader can say. Uh, I don't know what to do. This is, in my, in my opinion, after reading the life of, of Jehoshaphat, this is Jehoshaphat's best leadership moment. I know I, it is easy when there's low-hanging fruit in the kingdom. It is not easy when you're facing a storm and you really don't know what to do. Um, so, like, it is easy to cut down Asherah poles. It is easy to... Um, Grind Baal-worshipping idols into powder. That's easy. It is not easy to humble yourself and actually say, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, most leadership lessons that I've got through schooling have always taught me, well, the leader just has to know. The leader just has to know. You just have to know. And here, though, King Jake is saying, I don't know what to do. But what he follows that with is, my eyes are on you. I don't know. Have you ever faced something in your life and there's pressure just to know? And you say, here's the one thing I know, that God knows. <laughs> here's the one that I don't know, God knows. The best leaders are babies. And babies don't know what to do. They just get nourishment from mom and dad. I don't know what to do. My eyes are just on you. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. There's a promise to take to the bank. If you feel like you know, you don't know like you ought to know. And this leader, my friends, who is a revivalist leader, sets a, a fire, sets, a, sets a, uh, an opportunity, sets a foundation for a miracle-working God to burst forth in his kingdom by saying, my eyes are on God, not on my ability to know. I like that. I like that. But here's, here's one, one more thing that re revivalists respond to storms by realizing that God wants responsibility for your battles. The worst possible thing that the king could have done is saying, hey, I'm not gonna do nothing, 
So assemble all the armies. We're just gonna, we're gonna take the field. We're gonna, we're gonna go into battle and we're gonna show them what's up. But that is not what the king does. King in verse 15, B says, the battle, the, a prophet comes to speak to the king and, and the, the prophet speaks this word, the battle is not yours, it's God's. This is a promise that you can stand on all throughout scripture and here's the promise that God makes to his people that I will fight this fight for you. I will fight this storm for you. The oxygen you're gonna be breathing here isn't gonna be coming from a, a man-made tank. It is gonna be coming from heaven. This, I will fight this battle for you. Uh, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. Here's a promise for God's people. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be silent. So Jehoshaphat doesn't start making desperate claims to the people. He doesn't trash talk like people do on a basketball court. That was a good job, but watch this. My mom could make that, right? Oh, man, my grandma made that once. Yeah, you're nothing, you're nothing. No, this storm was something. And he's not trash talking. He, he's, he's receiving the word of the prophet. And the prophet said, if you, the moment you take ownership for this battle, you will lose. Because the battle is not yours to own. It is, in fact, very God's. Do you want to step into that promise or not? So my question to you all this morning is where do you start when, you, when you're caught in the storm? And we can, we can preach these things to ourselves all we want. We can say this, yeah, humble yourself, realize that God wants responsibility for your battles. We can check those off. If, it, if we were taking a, a, a Sunday school quiz, we could fill in the blanks and it, it makes sense, but where do you start? And I, I love where Jehoshaphat starts. In verse 12, he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So I would say this, start with your heart to the heavens. Start there. So God, my first, my first move when I'm robbed of oxygen is I'm setting my heart to gaze on you and your strength and your power and your goodness and your glory. This is not literally saying that the king was staring at God with his physical eyes. I think that so many of us, have, of us have physical eyes to see what's happening physically, but we don't actually have spiritual eyes of the heart to see what's happening spiritually. And so the king is saying, I'm fixing my gaze, not my physical eyes, but my gaze is happening in your direction. I'm actually looking for divine answers. I'm actually looking for divine resources. I'm not looking at the problem, I'm looking at you. I'm not looking at the threat, I'm looking at you. I'm not watching the news, I'm, I, I'm, I'm listening for heaven's news. What are you doing? The, the, uh, have you ever read Psalm 121? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Listen, your help doesn't come in a spiritual battle or a physical battle that, was, that is just a manifestation of what's happening in the spirit. You're, you're, you don't lift up your eyes to physical answers when it's a spiritual influence. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And if he made heaven and earth and he's, and he's uh, in covenant with you and me, he knows how to take care of us. Here's the promise. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel, that's God's covenant people, will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. 
He keeps you, he keeps you, he keeps you. And, and by, by this saying, the Lord is your keeper, that is, a, that is a, a message not only that God is able, but that is a message of belonging because you, God knows how to take care of what he owns. He keeps you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. All throughout the scriptures, this is how God's taking care of his uh, covenant people. In the face of pandemics or whatever, God's always, this is my protection. I'm with you. I'm with you. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out. This, the word keep is just speaking identity. Sons and daughters in my house. Sons and daughters that belong at my table. Sons and daughters who I don't just put up with, but I want. Who I haven't just let in, but I've adopted, grafted into my family. I keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So if God's ever let you to the table, he knows how to keep you at the table. And he wants to be the strength. And so the, the promise of God is lift your, the eyes of your heart to him. Eyes to the heavens, heart to the heavens. But here's a good one, here's one that we really need to learn is face to the ground, face to the ground. Verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. There's, there's a lot of leadership lessons that only happen when you're humble enough to get down and dirty and just, just, just put your face down. Sometimes when I am alone, that I just, I cover, I, I, I lay with my face to the ground and I try to, I don't have a massive nose, but it's not small. You know, I try to put, I try to smack as low as I can get my face. And then sometimes I just want to, I just want to cover my face with my hands. Like, I, like I'm symbolically burying my head in the, in the sand. God, I don't need to know what's happening around me. I just need to know that you've got me and here I am. God loves to keep you when your face is to the ground. Knees to the earth though. Face to the ground, heart to the heavens, knees to the earth. Verse 18, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord. This is a symbol of desperate surrender, and we sing about this all the time, but we don't know how to do this when it matters. Do you know the song, This is How I Fight My Battles? This is the story that inspired the song, my friends. And when, when you're surrounded by a storm and you're gasping for breath and you don't know what to do, like so, so, we're so quick to get off our knees and to run to places and start fighting our own battles. But God's people fall down before God and surrender. Say, if you don't fight for me, I'm, I'm not fighting for me. And praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. Verse 18b, worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. What'd you do when your knees were to the earth? What'd you do when your face was to the ground? What'd you do when your heart was to the heaven? I worship the Lord. Can I tell you this? Strike the Dark just was just released and it's really good. Before God, there's not an ounce in us that just wants to release albums. It's a part of discipleship and worship is the way that we war in the kingdom. That is what it's about. Worship is a part of, worship, when you get to the ground, if you're doing anything other than worshiping the Lord, you need discipleship. <laughs> it's a, that's why worship is like the heartbeat of the kingdom. 
worshiping the Lord, and there Levites stood up to praise the Lord. The God of Israel, Levites were the worship leaders, so, so they stood up above the rest, and they said, we're gonna lead this train. And the, God of Israel, and the God of Israel, and what they did is they did it with a very loud voice. It wasn't false humility, they led with a loud voice, worshiping God, praising God in the midst of trouble with a loud voice is the way that we fight our battles. And it's the way that we tie down things in a storm. I, uh, you know, I told you about my dog, Champ. Remember, he, uh, he used to be cute and we used to love him, but now that he's shaved and groomed and whatnot, we hate him because he's ugly, you know? And uh, he was shaved two weeks ago and we still don't like him. You know, I, I, there's just not grace there to like the dog. You know, I, I don't like, I like dogs that act like poodles but not look like poodles. You know, he, he used to look like a big squishy fluff ball that was as smart as a poodle. But now he just looks too poodly and I, I hate that doodle. You know what I'm saying? I'm just speaking in dog terminology. Sorry if you can't track with this. But here's what this seven and a half month old, uh, a month old dog does. <clears throat> is he's constantly chewing things up and ripping the stuffing literally out of pillows and toys and, you know, children and, um, you know, and uh, uh, squirrels and, uh, and all kinds. He's constantly taking things and biting them, devouring them, ripping them to pieces. And then what he does is he takes the mess and he comes and presents it to me. <laughs> I was like, get, like the last thing was, you know those bones that dogs, that, that will capture dogs' attention for like seven days. But what's left after they're done with this bone is this nasty, slimy, uh, you know, otherworld looking, you know, amoeba type object that you don't want to touch because you probably contract gingivitis, you know? And, but this is what Champ constantly brings me his spoils of war. Kind of like almost looking at me saying, hey, dad, this is for you. That is for you. It's kind of like what my kids did when they were little kids. Like, dad, dad, here's a drawing. I, I painted this for you. Hey, dad, here's, a, <clears throat> here's, here's something that I wrote. I'm like, oh, what language is this, honey? Is it elfish? They're like, no, that's English. I'm, I'm learning. Mom's teaching me. Like, wow, well, you're, you're smart. Very. It's a, it might be tongues. I don't know. It's just like very, very interesting, you see. And they come and they bring this to me and they bring their best and they bring their best and they bring their best. And I think that when we're talking about heart through the heavens and face through the ground and knees to the earth and praise to the Lord, God's not looking for our great leadership. God's looking for us as kids saying, God, here's my best. I know it looks like an amoeba. I know nobody can read it but you. I know nobody cares but you. But here you go. God's not saying that's the best you can do in a storm. That's the best you can do? You wanna offer me slime in a storm? You wanna offer me this in a, in a storm? God's not doing that. You know what, you know what I do? This is the honest truth, and I do this with a dog. Imagine what God will do with his kids. With my dog, it breaks my heart for my dog, and I repent. I'm serious. I sat on a slimy thing on the couch, and I'm like, good Lord, and the dog comes up and he's looking at, at me like, that's yours, Dad. And it kind of melted my heart, and I'm like, you're not quite as ugly as I thought. Get over here. And I just pet him, and I, his ears are soft. And I'm like, oh, soft ears. You know, like, I'm just like, wow, I'm finding the gold. I'm finding the gold in my dog. He's annoying, but I'm finding the gold. And here God, God is saying, do you know what, what melts my heart? 
when I see you in a storm and you're all by yourself and the flaps are going and the rods are like nunchucks and your dad has left you and nobody is there to help. And when you feel like nobody cares and you, you can't even pull oxygen out of the atmosphere that you find yourselves in, do you know what literally melts my heart when I find you in that position is when you set your heart like flint to the heavens, when you put your face on the ground, when you bow your knees to the earth, and when you praise the Lord. And that, my friends, is what good leadership looks like. <laughs> that, my friends, is what a good pastor looks like. That is what a good mom looks like. That is what a good father looks like. I don't care if you have answers. I don't care, Jack, about your training. I, the, Heart to the heavens, face to the ground, knees to the earth, praise to the Lord, trumps it all. Trumps it all. And so here, my friends, I, I want you to stand on a, prom a, a promise this morning. I don't know what kind of battle you're fighting. I don't know what you're going through this morning. But the scriptures say in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting with verse 13, when I shut up the heavens, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now this is a promise I, I, I want you to stand on. I'm begging you to stand on. I want you to listen to this. I want you to just listen to this one last time. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The answer to that is my help comes to the Lord. How do I get this help? Well, you have to act like a child. You have to act like a child. And you have to get on your face and you have to present God with the, the scraps of your life and trust that he's a miracle working God and he can do that. How many people believe that he can do that in your life? Do you believe it? Amen. So I just wanna, I wanna start this revival. Can you close your eyes for a moment? I just want to, Lord, what, what starts revival is when we posture our hearts to heaven and we begin to cry out to you that healing flows through, through kids operating in their identity, sons and daughters saying, Dad, here you go. Come to our rescue. Come to our help. We set our eyes on you. Church, set your eyes on Jesus right now. Every, everything you're trusting, everything you've ever read, if it didn't come from Jesus, stop trusting it. Everything you've got, if it didn't come from Jesus, stop trusting it. And put your eyes squarely and surely on the, on the man named Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life right now. He wants you to look to Jesus and look to Jesus for everything that you need. Every place that you're going, for your future, for your past, for your present, and everything in between. And if you can't breathe, he'll give you mouth to mouth. And if you can't stand, he'll carry you. And if you can't see him, he'll find you. And put your eyes on Jesus. He promises to carry you right now. And so God, I pray for every person that they're facing a storm and the storm is speaking a different message than revival. God, you send storms for revival. And so they're kind storms. They're storms that demand miracles, and you're a miracle-working God. And the storm is only coming to show how small it is and how great you are. So God, I just pray that every person here today, no matter what storm that they're facing, no matter what storm that is in their life right now, 
every person gasping for air, not knowing what to do. I pray they'll do the best thing they could possibly do and admit that they don't know and invite you to come. Heart to the heavens, face to the ground, knees to the earth. That's what we want. So we bless you. And I, I just know, Holy Spirit, that you know how to shepherd your people. I know, I know that you know how to break our hearts. And I know that you know more about us than we care to. And so we just want to thank you for storms. And we, we ask for divine miracles in every storm that we're facing today that make much of Jesus and that give us all the benefits of victory that bring glory and honor to your name, Father. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you more, and we bless you again, and then we keep blessing, and we don't get tired of it, and we just bless a lot, and we bless out loud, and we bless quiet, we bless on the ground, and we bless with Keith, and we bless when we're sweating, and we bless you, in Jesus' name, Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.